Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. Today on the show, I have a dancer. Ooh. Uh, he's a dancer. He uh, he is with the uh, what, what the Water Street Dance Company. Yeah. 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 So yeah, and uh, he he's got a lot of things going on, and we're going to talk about uh, love and fear, inspiration, motivation, all things that uh, okay. here at Mr. Nice Guy. So uh, Maddie and Wilson. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan. How are you today? I am well. I am well. What did you do today? Um, what did I do today? So I went to a rehearsal with Water Street. We're actually rehearsing for the Third Ward Arts Festival here. It's mm -hmm. an event called Under the Moon. Word. Um, we're going to be dancing around this really cool moon installation that they're going to build for us. And the company is kind of just doing local, you know, little uh, pickup gigs right now. So we can kind of build a community around our economy right now. and. I think that's where we're at in our fourth year as a company, and I'm happy to see that growth. I'm happy to awesome. see that local scene uh, level up in a way good. and kind of just keep building and growing together collectively. Um, good. Yeah, today was a good day for me as well. I uh, I was at the beach. Ooh. Uh, yeah, feeling myself a little bit. Okay. We had a, we had a drink of White Claw. Oh. I uh, <laughs> took a couple pictures. Oh, big yes, pictures? I took some pictures. <laughs> we were out on McKinley Beach. Okay, uh, living the best Milwaukee life. Yes, it was very beautiful. Uh, just uh, hung out with my good friend Salem. And uh, we, uh, yeah, no, we walked along the, the harbor. It was a very, very good time. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, it's, it's never a full, wholesome day without a podcast. Right. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, so, and so. that being said, we got some Coronas on the table. Ooh, the only beer I can drink. I'm, I'm glad that you actually... Uh, okay, because I didn't know if you were like, beer, beer connoisseur, and I'm just oh, like, no. soda beer, not really. I'm, I'm no snob. Okay. Um, I'll drink anything that gets me lit. Guinness. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm not the big. <laughs> look, like sixty plus. You're beer, on that. AARP yeah. beer, like yeah. ugh. Yeah, not, beer. I don't like. I don't like dark. <laughs> I don't like dark beers as much. I I prefer so beer. Look fun cocktail beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So sure. we got Coronas here. Woo! So thank you again for getting these. No problem. Be the best. Uh, um, we have a uh, twists. Do we? Uh, Are they twist ups? No, they're not. Um, I think I actually have something in my. Oh, we're, we're consulting Keenan. He's off camera. <laughs> yeah. So basically. Got oh, right. thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, thank you again. Oh, okay. Appreciate it. Um, so, so what we talk about on Mr. Nesky, we talk about love and fear through our creative and passionate minds. Okay. Um, so, uh, we have been Facebook friends for a while, and uh, we, we had a nice little coffee date yeah. at Collectivo. Sure. Uh, we talked a little bit about, we just like, you know, got to know each other just based on like, you know, our backgrounds and who we are and everything, and I know like, cause like, I don't know, I, I, I don't, I like, I mean, I've, I've had friends that have danced, but I think it's cool to explore how dancing is like sort of, you know, your creative outlet that you consciously work towards every single day to, you know, captivate a feeling or an emotion or an otherwise sort of expressiveness. And um, I'm, I'm excited to uh, hear a little bit about your experience. So I guess to start, 
Uh, you want to tell me a little bit about, you know, when where you really first started dancing, where you really first started finding it as an outlet for yourself. Okay, well, I first started, you know, my medium when I was in middle school. I was around 13, 14 years of age. Sure. I wasn't a very active person. I didn't do much. I was mostly like a gamer, really nerd anime. Oh, yeah. Um, I wasn't into comic book. I wasn't that far, but I was really Pokemon. Yeah. I like sure. to collect things. I like Sims and virtual things. Oh, my God. I was so into Sims. I was, I had oh. every, okay, fun fact, I had every <laughs> single expansion pack and mm. stuff pack for Sims 2. Every single. Every single one. That's a budget, right? There. It was a. Bu it was a budget. <laughs> I was begging my mom. I was like, "Mom, I want this fucking everything. This pack. I need all the pets, yeah, the cars, right, I right, need all the bitches, everything. all, all the <laughs> every single activity. I need it. Yeah, got you. Sims was great though. Yeah. Loved it. But yeah, I and then honestly, um, I actually end up going to. We were looking for middle school selections after fifth grade and. I wanted something new and I wanted to try something new. Um, my uncle at the time, he suggested that, you know, maybe I should try like something creative. So mm -hmm. Roosevelt was likely, it was close. Um, and I went to Roosevelt and I studied under who was the department chair at the time for dance, uh, Kathy Leonard. Sure. And um, I started with her. We started doing little nice. tap and musical things. Uh, and I really started to understand the vocabulary of my medium. You know what I mean? I really started to understand just that simple vocabulary, yeah. biomechanics, um, simple ways of moving. And I think that was when my interest sparked. And I actually understood I had a natural ability mm -hmm. of, to movement. And I had a very, I think, um, spiritual connection yeah. to what I was doing. So I was very invested in it. And I put a lot of time in it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what kind of, you know, started it all for me, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you've I know you've worked with a lot of different uh, like dance related mediums that have you know you've worked with like professionally and whatnot. So I guess like uh, you want to go into like you know experiences you've had like in Milwaukee or, right. or beyond that you know have allowed you to uh, continue with that. Well, yeah, I continued on. I continued on through my middle school education. I went to Milwaukee High School of the Arts. I continued my arts education. Of course, nice. I enjoyed it. I went into their dance department. What year did you graduate? Uh, I graduated from Milwaukee. I actually graduated. I didn't graduate from Milwaukee High School of the Arts. Okay. I left when I was a junior, and I ended up graduating from Brookfield East. Oh, word. Okay. So sure. it was a whole little. It was I a whole little you. out of zone, out of body, out of mind experience for me educationally graduating high school. Mm -hmm. um, after high school, I actually went to New York City. I went to a what we consider a dance. HBCU, which was Dance Theater of Harlem in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very black, prestigious classical ballet company, one of the first, founded by Arthur Mitchell, black awesome. dance historian, yeah. um, led now by Virginia Johnson, the artistic director, incredible, you know, one of the first members of the company. Um, after that, I kind of was like, what the hell am I going to do, right? So I was in New York City, random choreographer comes up to me named Christopher Rudd. He saw me at Dance Theater of Harlem. He says, hey, I have a company here in New York City, and we're going to France. I'm going to France, and I want you to go with me. I'm creating a new piece of work. I want to create it with you on your body, and I want you to come to France with me. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. At first, I'm just like, and, and, you know, face to face, it's like being presented to me. It's real. It's physical. You know, it's nothing that's some random email, Facebook message, yeah. anything. This is a man right. who has physically watched me and my art, who was inspired by me and who wanted to create right yeah. then and there and continue the creation process. Yeah. And personally, that's asking you, do you want to change your life? Mm -hmm. And, oh, the phone. And, 
<laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's the worst type of. I have experiences with foamy materials and yeah, right, champagne right. pops. Yeah, it shoots, and, it shoots upward. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. bullshit. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was a. I think it was an opportunity for me to try new things, new spaces, new environments. And I actually went to France. We went there on a six-week residency. Mm -hmm. I had to get a travel visa, passport, all those shebang, very yeah. new life experiences, and um, that kind of led me down more rabbit holes, you know, in my life sure, to where right. I am today. You know what I mean? And yeah. I can go on and on and on about background because it's yeah. super extensive. It's a decade of my life that it's into my medium, and I think where I am now, if we can just conclude that a little bit, is just like I am at the point of my art where I can cross over into different dimensions into my art and I can find different spaces where I can be creative or not. And I can go in and out of my spaces comfortably. I can go in and out of energies. I can reflect energies. I could be in diverse spaces and diverse in the real ways where there are communities infiltrating communities yeah. and not just the token diversities. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I can kind of create those spaces for people. And I think that's where I'm at now. You know, trying yeah. to create that representation and space for people by living my life artistically and kind of being that face of what I do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. I guess like how like what did your experience abroad in France teach you about like you know like uh, you know where you wanted to further take your career about like you know the professionality of it like I guess like how did it shape what were your takeaways like moving forward to like how you would eventually apply it to your career? Um, I was a lot of takeaways. One thing I learned a lot about was how you market and brand yourself. For yeah. one, I think my social media game just like went to different levels when I was out there because everything there is so electronic, digital, um, and a lot of people care about that, you know, social image, I think, right, yeah. so much more, excuse me. And I think um, another thing that really changed about me was my, my ability to kind of enter foreign spaces and just kind of adapt. Mm -hmm. You know, not necessarily always bring energies with me into those spaces, but kind of come into those spaces, investigate those spaces, see where my energy is kind of needed in those spaces, and apply it there. I feel like that was a skill that was very difficult for me as an American, culturally, yeah. um, to kind of just put some stuff away and put it in the pocket for now and see it, see it for later. Um, and I think that sometimes when we enter other people's cultures, it can be a super rewarding experience or it can be a super mm -hmm. damaging one. And physically and for my image and who I was at the time and where I was starting my career, it was super, super positive, super great. But I think that for my health, especially my mental health, it was super damaging at times. It was super yeah. compromising for who I was and my identity. But it also gave me a lot of time to really discover identity yeah, and kind totally. of play with that. So I think every experience in life is a path worth navigating. And I think it's always worth exploring, and that's why I kind of consider myself an experimental artist who gets yeah. to kind of play with those paths and find that limitless ability to keep transforming my medium. Yeah. Um, that's why I love contemporary styles. That's why I love the experimental genres. That's why right. I love those kind of futuristic, you know, let's play with the now and the, the mm -hmm. what's going to be now rather than let's play with what has happened or what yeah. is happening now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how, like, from your experience, how would you feel like, uh, you know, France 
perceives an American like from you know when (laughs) (laughs) well I think the most number one question I was asked was what do you think of Trump? Oh so, God, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the question was, everyone's yeah, asking yeah, us, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was a very difficult, I think, time as an African American man to be traveling because everyone wanted an opinion. We just had a, we just had one of the most incredible African American presidents in our history of our country, and he was a great face. He was a great representative. He was a great representative of the first. Yes. And right, yeah. um, so a lot of the global, I think, world wanted a reaction from his constituents, black Americans, other people like him. And I think what they really think of us is, I really thought they, what they thought was truly what specifically French people and specifically, I know people that were close to me, South of France, Mediterranean people. They thought that, um, they really think that Americans are like living in this harmony and you know, we are ending world hunger here and we are happy on Los Angeles beaches sipping Mai Tais because we just had this first black president and we're living in world peace and there's no racism and there's no discrimination. I mean, they really painted a picture in global news as if everything was kind of okay. Yeah. Yeah, I do. (laughs) I'm having so much trouble. Okay. Yeah, what? What the fuck? When he said leverage, when you said leverage, leverage, yeah, I was like, that had me fucked up. Here, let me go. Oh, <laughs> um, I think that. Uh, before it, here, wait yeah. before you. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get yeah, it. Well, let's go. Let's handle this. Uh, first. Grab the gooseneck. Oh, That's what you meant by leverage. Grab Shut up, Keenan. <laughs> <laughs> so as you were saying, sorry. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think French people just really think that. Um, they thought we had a condition of life that was different and I think I was a great person for them to meet because I projected something that was completely different than what they thought that was what was blackness or what um, or what is blackness mm-hmm. and like you know it kind of projected the question for them of what they see movies and TVs and, and Hollywood and it, I kind of gave them a totally different 360 fucked up weird sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, spin on it. <laughs> yeah, so on that note, I'm actually, I'm interested, like, what would you say, like, uh, how would you compare, like, what blackness in America means to blackness in another country like that? I like think the black, the black people existing in France are obviously people who, it is, are, there are, of course, some um, French, black French people who exist you know, nationally there and are born nationally there, but a lot of the black people I think I personally experienced were from other places. Um, They were from the French islands or they were from Haiti, another um, French-ran country, uh, New Caledonia. that's an island <laughs> close to yeah. Madagascar somewhere. Sure, like, yeah, you know, right, yeah. If you want to know, so I think I under I guess most of the black people I met came from other places, but still predominantly French acting and French speaking, and yeah. I necessarily did not relate to them. I think, and I, even me, I don't relate to most black people either. So I didn't go with any expectations because you know why disappoint yourself about yeah. any or go into anything with anyone with expectations like this is what I expect them to be like or act like because of their level of blackness. But I think they have really a society that was, they have the sugarcane plantations. Those were the Caribbean, you know, those are the predecessors of Caribbean slaves. And um, I think they have a different history with whiteness and adapting and compromising within the whiteness. Uh, And 
just like all places that has white and black people, light and dark people, there is colorism and racism and they deal with that systematically different. Um, and the French just choose to ignore it. They choose to be colorblind. Mm -hmm. But I'm at a place where I'm like, you see that the grass is green, you see that the sky is blue, you see that I'm brown and I see that you're white. And it is certain identities that it's okay politically to navigate our lives with. And these are some politically that play a role into our advancement in life, and we have to politically be aware of them. Oh yeah, yeah. You can't ignore it. No. You know we we, and that's where equity is important because like, you know, we can talk about equality all day, yeah. And legislation is going to push for equality, yeah. but that's not going to happen like t to the extent that it needs to because different communities have been damaged differently by society, mm -hmm. you know, and like whether it's you know whether it's the black community, whether it's, you know, uh, immigrants, whether it's LGBTQ+, right. whether it's Jews, whether it's Muslims, whether it's, like, anything. Like, different communities have been damaged in different ways. Absolutely. And, like, they're, they don't require the same, like, uh, the same aid, mm. this, the same uh, acknowledgement in different, like, that's where the equity comes in. It's, like, different, different, communities require different reparations yeah and it's 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 fucked mm -hmm. that we don't that we ignore like the the reparations that you know right various communities like especially the black community in america yeah uh require because otherwise it's like how much are we really helping them it might be it might be like we're helping them on paper because mm -hmm. we have legislation that says oh you know we're granting equal rights, to, but that doesn't erase. It's not an erasure of right. you know the damage. Understand the issues that be and the fact of the matters. Mm -hmm. We have to take historical context. We have to actually do the research into historical data. We have to realize who these predecessors are in America. We have to identify our ancestry to them. We have to identify exactly the roles. We understand historically that Canadians built the ships. We understand that the Spanish were a part of the squat team, as I like to call them, the slave trade. We want to understand that the English, French, and the Spanish were yeah. the SWAT team, were the enforcers. And we have to understand all the other powers that be the Australians that were alive and civilized at the time and we have to understand the role the global role of the world and their participation in what happened to a group of people and we have to understand what it, who is owed and we have to understand what type of the domestic work is owed um, to pay that domestic work that has been put into the infrastructure yeah. of this country back and we have to just evaluate that ethically, fairly and we have to understand that it's also going to include other groups of people. Mm -hmm. Black rights and black liberation is a lot of people's rights and a lot of people's liberations and civil rights in this country. And I think that even as me as a black man, I understand the privileges that I have. And I understand that together, domestically and collectively, black liberation is liberation for LGBT people. It's liberation for women. It's liberation for Jews because there are black Jews. It's liberation for a lot of different communities. Yeah. And I think that we just have to domestically evaluate that with all of its intersections and its complexities yeah, that we can right. go into for another yeah, 20 minutes yeah. of table. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. You know what I mean? Because, and I'm glad you touched on that, because this whiteness that exists in all marginalized communities, this exactly. whiteness, this- Africa and Christianity. Like right. There's whiteness that is gonna be imprinted on our new lives, you know, and we are Americans. <laughs> and there's a new identity yeah. being formed generationally right. for black people and we have to understand how to best represent them as well and create a country that works right. for us. Yeah, like this, this <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cuz I mean there's this white 
you know, there's white Jews like myself. There's yeah. there's white feminism. There's yeah. white LGBTQ plus activism. There's, and that's what I'm saying is like, there are like despite the intersectionality that exists within these various communities, it's like there's still it's like if you're white, you, like you are still granted white privilege, yes. and that is like, and that's something that like. It's a hard pill to swallow for many, for people that yeah. has been so accustomed to the system for so long. For the but of life. yeah, exactly, and like that's and that's something that like I've been, you know, constantly trying to remind myself that it's like, you know, and it, it's it's been hard for me too because there's like I will walk into a space and I know that like you know, people are going to feel unsafe. They're going to feel like you know I pose some sort of threat to them because I'm a white cisgender male. Yeah. You know, I it's it's a hard pill to swallow and I'm working on it. Mm. But you know, the best thing I can do is like, well, acknowledge the fact that it's fucking real and the and the the fact the the reason it exists in the first place is because of white maleness in society. Absolutely. And I think understanding that's where equity comes in because you're understanding that your skin can be a weapon as well. And it, yeah. it shows a context and it means something to other people as well. And it's not just black skin that means things, you know, it doesn't have the symbolism, doesn't mean, you know, clutch my pearls when he walks yeah. past me. I feel like understanding that all of our skin is a weapon and we have looked at it destructively for so long the wrong way yeah. that that's what that equity is. Mm -hmm. And that's what that conscious equity yep. is for us in society entering spaces and intersecting yeah. where our lives intersect. Right, yeah, exactly. And I'm never, there's never gonna be a time where it's like, I'm doing enough. I'm always gonna have to be doing more. Absolutely. You know, it's like, yeah. that's another thing. Like, I'm, more in your case, yeah. Yeah, like I'm always gonna have to be doing more. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, you yeah. know, I like, I, I yeah, and, and it's like, yeah, it's like, fuck. Initially, when I'm initially presented with that, it's like, oh man, it's tiring. Right. But it's like this has been uh, like the the reality of marginalized communities their entire lives. Right. Is it's tiring to have to explain this all the time. It's it's tiring to be fighting for rights that should be just amended by by human nature. Yeah. But for some reason, it's fucking not. So yeah, I mean, I I think that like you know it's. And it's, it's interesting because, like, I mean, I haven't really traveled too much abroad at all. Like, I like I wish I would travel more, but it's like, you know, Americans, I feel like because of just, you know, the current administration, how we're represented as a country, we are, it, it can be easy for us to group in about, like, well, like, you, you know, you're an American, you must, you know, think you're better than the rest of the world. But, you know, fuck that. Like, yeah. I mean, like, I, like, <laughs> Like fuck that! Like I don't, I don't do the the America. Yeah. I don't do the America chance and nah, shit. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good on that because it's like, yeah, like I am, like I am proud to be an American. For sure. But that doesn't negate from the pride someone else might have from where they came from. Absolutely. You know, I'm just proud of the experiences that I've had in my country okay. that have allowed me to be who I am today. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, but I'm that doesn't mean I'm not still learning. Right, and you wear that though, like. I think once we get to a place where we can wear our identities like we wear our clothes, you know, once that it becomes political in itself yeah. to me, you know, just being, you know, and just existing for people and yeah. people around you and the community or just society, just like walking down the street sometimes and people see the shocking things 
you can wear or do or have yeah. and you can just be a, a, yeah. a beacon for people or a pillar of just information of yes. different people existing and yeah. that's the power of identity and wearing and just owning your shit like this is who I am and this is what I gotta be yep. because <laughs> this is what it is you know like yeah. I understand I'm a person who is compulsively late I understand that about myself and the more I understand that about myself is the more I can work towards being on time and the more I implement actually helpful practices that get me on time yeah, because right. I know I'm compulsively late. I know I'm a person who suffers with a lack of punctuality. So now that I know that about myself, I can consciously do the work to kind of do it. And yeah, right. Yeah, I think just talking about it and doing it, doing it is one thing in this world and domestically doing the work is one thing. And I think that's why I, like, I got into a place where even on Facebook I just stopped posting statuses, like I stopped posting words. You see a lot of images and links shared from right, me yeah. as of recently because I just really just didn't, don't have much to say. Yeah. It's a, right. it's a, it's a time of me doing, it's, it's harvest season. It's exhausting. Yeah. It does. It gets exhausting AF. Like, it's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm yeah. done. I'm done with always having right. something to say and that expectation that I am going to say something that day, you know? Yeah, I mean? exactly. It's like, no. I don't have anything to say. Right, I don't have anything yeah. to say in months. And then it's like I find time to do stuff like this where it's so much said. You know what I mean? And I kind of yeah. can vomit that out to that platform yeah. and actually truthfully, probably visually and verbally, domestically do And I'm stuff. glad you decided to. Yeah, for uh, sure, man. Very glad you decided to. So how do you feel like a lot of this passion that, you know, you feel, you know, based on whether it's your life experience, your identity, like your talent, like where, how, like, how do you feel like, um, through dancing, like, you know, you're conveying that emotion? Right. I think I like to be as what I call organic and genuine to myself as possible and to my current abilities, who I am for the day. Um, when I am emoting, I feel like in certain genres of dance, we get a lot of, you know, false emotion a lot of industries and dance it's a lot of emotion that you know we can play with and laugh at and joke about because it's just so unrealistic or it's just yeah. too literal or just right. like you know too 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 close to the lyrics like we can play with anything but i think the most in i think the most incredible dancers are the ones who give us true emotions and actually make us feel things beyond what we thought we were supposed to feel and actually are able to be authentic in their movement and actually be human and humanize mm -hmm. the art form. I think that's incredible. Like when I was reading a quote from an artist and probably an unknown source at this point, sure. destroyed in the internet. Yeah, right, right. But he was saying like, sculptures were just sculptures until we sculpted human form. You know, until you create, until you humanize the form that you are sculpting with your hands that you are materializing. Bitch is fucking it up again. <laughs> leverage. Get it, leverage. Leverage. Oh. Oh, you should be able to twist that off now. Probably. Let's see. Yep. yep. Wait, wait. I hope so. I hope so. Keenis uh, is looking over here. He's like... Am I needed? Oh, sorry, man. <laughs> no, it's okay. You need me? Yes. All right. Leverage. The goose snack is your leverage. That goose snack. Perfect. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. Of course. Yeah, I think the best is when it's most organic, it's most real, it's most true to who you are. 
um, when you're not trying to toy and play with that aspect of the of the art form, but when you are creating true humanization of yourself mm -hmm. and being practical with us as audience and spectators. And that is what I enjoy most when I watch my medium specifically. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, how much uh, do you like devote to practicing? Like, a, do you practice every day? Yes, about every day, almost every day, about five hours a day. Mm. I mean, we can all attest to that. The time oh, wow. I put into what I do in my craft, and whether that work is, you know, personal work, uh, most of the work is group work that mm -hmm. I do with, you know, different organizations throughout Milwaukee. Um, I like to collaborate with a lot of different artists from a lot of different mediums. Yeah. Um, I like to, I like the community aspect to what I do. I like that I need other people to do what I do, and I need, I feel like that's what is, institutionalized art forms can be so wrong in their practices and, and with the millennial generation and just trying to find the the medium of art that exists for us and art that is made by us as consumers. I think that art that sometimes people can experience personally and not necessarily find interest or in buying or trying to be bought into it or trying to when you can when you just commercialize and saturate the art so much people can no longer personally connect with that right, art yeah. me specifically and then the things become almost commercial or saturated or it's another industry of itself it's another product of an industry of itself and i feel like that's where we get so wrapped up in art that i am enjoying of course i want to enjoy the the economy of my medium like all artists, I mm -hmm. want to find the value in it, and I think that's what we're that's what we're navigating as millennials now. I think we're just navigating that cost, that value that we place on ourselves, that price tag that we put on our work. And I feel like now it's like I'm at the phase where it's like present your work in a package, and deliver it to the pe the community that you built around it, and deliver it in a way where people would be able to mm -hmm. pay for it and fairly and. I think that's where I specifically am is finding that and I think it's going to be fun exploring that and it's going to be great kind of just navigating that artistically um, and I want to see more artists join me do that yeah yeah totally yeah so um, what I guess like would you describe as your collaborations with other artists be like, you know, through um, different forms. It can be through different forms. Like, for example, I work with a lot of different photographers and graphics designers, sure. cinematographers, videographers. Um, I work with singers, you know, I work with, I get to my, I get to be introduced to people, like people who make jewelry and body oh, jewelry yes. and scales and cool shit. Oh, and yes. I get to be introduced to designers and models and I get a, a vast energy of just all this art all mm -hmm. throughout my life and it, it, it keeps me aligned. Yeah with my third artistic eye that the the lens that gets to see this world vibrantly and yeah. what my artistic medium is and I see movement in a lot of things I see movement in a lot of people you know mm -hmm. even just you and the way you communicate and conversate is right, movement yeah. or the way you play with your fingers it's kind of like movement it's it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a world that I love to be in and play in and see and spectate yeah. in and hop in and out of. I think that's the beauty. Oh, we're gonna talk about that actually yeah. because uh, <laughs> like I forgot who it was, but someone pointed out how like I always like would play with the flaps on this table. Ah. But yeah. I got this this handy tablecloth that I don't <laughs> fucking do that anymore, and it's like well, you know. That I feel like that I feel like uh, 
sort of gives me one less way to physically manifest my anxiety. For sure. Um, it's like, you know, because like, I fidget a lot, you mm -hmm. know, I like, you know, touch things a lot. Like, I'm a very, like, tactile person yeah. when it comes to, like, how my anxiety manifests. I need to, like, have something that's physically comfortable to touch. Right. And, you know, this tablecloth makes it so I don't do that as much. Right. And wow. I'm like... Well, wow, that actually made like, you know, it may be like a sim, it may be like just a sheet yeah. at the end of the day, but it, it does have like a, it has an effect in the way like my presentation, you mm -hmm. know, for the show and just, you know, how I'm conducting myself uh, looks. Right. And, um, you know, uh, and like, and like I said, like, you know, I'm a very fidgety person. I'm constantly like using nonverbals to communicate right. my. Whether it's my discomfort or my apprehension, or whether it's my my you know, my temperament as a human being, that where it's like you know I like to I touch a lot of things and it, it gives me some sort of like sensory comfort. Um, it does say a lot about me, yeah. You know, and I and I think about that consciously. Like I I think about like well, how are people reading me? You yeah. know, how are people gonna when they're when they're sitting down here with the table with alcohol, mm -hmm. you know, how are they going to, how, like, you know, how are they going to think about like, you know, how what what's going on in my mind right. and just like I guess like how I'm presenting myself because like you know nonverbals are I mean it's that's all movement right yeah. there you know movement teaches you so much about what someone means mm -hmm. that's, that's why I like to film my that's why I yeah. film my show yeah because it's not just a podcast that people can just hear but it's something they can really physically connect with yeah yeah and that is what dance is and that's what we research when we are doing notations and authoring our works we are researching just human life and behaviors mm -hmm. overall and we want to translate that best to our spectators and just like that simple way that you want to translate something to me as your spectator as the person who is communicating with you that is a lot of our process in the vocabulary and the technique that goes into creating and making yeah. things so it's another aspect and it's very observant of you and very mindful of you absolutely thank you Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So, like, yeah, I guess, uh, how much, uh, so, how do you, like, physically push forward with dancing? Well, ooh, 22, so. <laughs> yeah, ooh, right, yeah. I'm at an athlete's age where I feel absolutely everything. I can do something and I can know exactly what the hell I did the day before because I physically feel it. My body is aging. Um, like every athlete, you know, it's a lot of wear and tear on my body. It's a lot of physical damage to my body. Knees losing cartilage. Yeah, right. Oh, right. Yeah. Bone marrow getting yep. thin. True. You know? Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, uh, you know, it's push. I, that's what's also pushing me to really expand out of just Milwaukee and try to really capture bigger cities like Chicago because I'm just like, girl, you are not getting any younger. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. You know, you gotta, you gotta do some more. You gotta mm -hmm. reach more people and you have to infiltrate new spaces. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you do. Yeah. You actually do. Like, I think about that consciously as a music journalist. Mm. I can't just focus on one niche of right. artistry. You right. know, we gotta talk about hip hop, electronic, right. rock, yeah. soul, like, you know, all of it. You right. know, it's it's about it's not about necessarily the, the, the avenue that's taking, but it's mm. about the feelings and the emotions it conveys, you know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, right. And that's what art is and 
when we as people can just accept all of those different forms of just like examples of art. Yeah. Like the every version. But yeah, I think when we can just accept all the different volumes of just like art and all of those different expectations and dimensions and those different stories, like I am convinced also just like random thought. I'm like convinced like all of history is like storytelling. It is. No, it's a bunch it is. Of bullshit. It's, I mean, and I don't want to say it's a bunch of bullshit because it gives us historical fact of time, yeah. place. It gives us that is history. Yes. And it does not have to say science is supposed to be based right, in fact. Yeah. History never, never, never made us that promise. But the thing is, what it feels like to me is just a bunch of storytelling, even culturally what I hear in black homes about the experience of 9-11 and, yeah. you know, like all of these just different things, it's just like storytelling. I'm convinced that history is storytelling and that's what I do as a dancer, that's how I interpret. I tell you stories and you believe them because I am so authentic and genuine in them with my emotions and mm -hmm. how I choose to emote them. And um, I think that is what I do is I tell stories I manifest them I create them I can be sinister in my storytelling yeah. I, like right. I like to I like to say that I want to be the Jordan Peele of dance choreography Word. I want to create those twisted weird sinister yeah. stories and I with those undertones with those undertones that make no sense that you were going to try to figure out for the rest of the day of why I showed you that but it's just going to always resonate with you whether yeah. it's just something that right you knew you were going to take or not with you. Yeah, and you're, no, I don't disagree at all. Like, history is storytelling because it's like we, think about like how you learned history in right. in school. You know, it's through textbooks. Yeah. Those textbooks were constructed by right. somebody who typed it. Right. And by. Got the information from somebody who told them. Right, the yeah. You know, yeah. Right. It's, it's a it's, system, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's all oral tradition that is, is uh, it's. Um, transcribed into a into a, a literary like text you know and it's like everything we understand about history is it's a lot of it is written to us yeah. you know it's written and it's indoctrinated in our education right. and you know take a, a good example is uh, Columbus Day you know, we, we talk about Chris Columbus. He discovered America. Mm -hmm. But when we, but, you know, in the past years, there's been controversy, and rightfully so, because through Chris Columbus sailing across the ocean and, you know, coming into, you know, the, into America, he, yeah, quote unquote, he, you know, that led to a mass influx of what would become the colonization. Of the world. Of the, yeah. Of the entire literally, world. Literally the manifestation, <laughs> literally the manifestation of all Western so civilization we as we know it. So we the shit and when the shit hit the fan, that's when it was shit hit right. the fan. When some Spanish guy decided to go on a boat and be like, oh, I'm going to go on a boat and not find anything. There's nothing beyond my land. I'm just going to go on a boat and whatever I find, I'm going to go and take it. Exactly. Look what I did. Right. You know, it's like, ugh. It's, it's, it's definitely oral storytelling. It's yeah. definitely a, it's definitely a, even a patriarchy to how information is subscribed yeah. to you. You know, like, excuse me, ooh, Coronas, y'all. The true. I am a wine drinker. Um, but um, yeah, it's just a patriarchy. Even in information, like culturally, for me, I feel like in in academia, there was certain information I didn't even have access to, or that I didn't know, or that I feel like I would never have access to, and. Or that I would just always be slipped under the rug yeah. from, you know what I mean? Even if I were to have access to it, like, it's, I feel like there is certain steps in life that I was able to take over other people and 
I also feel like there were steps in life that other people were ever taking with me. And yeah. I feel like that is the beauty of just personal history yeah. and what we navigate. Like, I really find, like, just conversations like this, like, when you meet someone and you just make that transaction, the, the honest to God truth is that you have so much more alike than you have different. And I just have to believe that. Of and I course. have to believe that there are good in all people and everybody is my ally until you show me you are my enemy. You know, and that's who I am as an artist, yeah. and that's what I like to believe in the world. Oh, and I believe there's, there's good in this world, shit. You yeah, know? there are... got to, it's some fucked up <laughs> shit out there, and I just gotta believe it's good. Man, <laughs> oh my god, girl, I okay, <sighs> I agree heartily because, like, you know, we. I think that. The way, and this is this is where history and media conflates. Yeah. It's always it's, it's always a it's always an us against them mentality, and we believe that we're, we're indoctrinated that like you know, you know, somebody who we're not familiar with or otherwise don't understand mm. is coming here, and they're looking for that that sanctuary. You know, they're looking for that, uh, that way to, you know, search for the American dream. They're searching for, you know, meaning. They're searching for opportunity. Rightfully so, because that's what our country was founded over. Human right. Right, that's yeah. Just human yeah. rights in general. Like, human but, country. you know, but then what's going on at the border right now, we don't have to get into that. Woo! But we are depriving. I feel like I'm next at this point. We're depriving human fucking rights, yeah. you know? And it's like, I saw... I feel like we're all next. Jews, blacks, Hispanic. Like, once we let yeah. one minority be attacked that way, violently that way, and we are just... I have no education of what's going on on the border. My mother, my people in my community have no education of what's going on at those ports of entry. Right. We truly have no education. The media is right and left, A, B, and C, up and down. With yep. it. They all tell a different story at this point. And I feel like the only way we will bear witness to what is going on is if we actually go there physically ourselves and we experience this ourselves. But one thing is, I'm, I live in fear in this country too, just of what they do to other people and what yeah. we can allow right. and what we have the power to allow. And I feel like me and my community, we are still hurt by the domestic traumas of what has happened to people. And we are literally watching them repeat it. We are watching them disenfranchise the community. Yep. We are watching them historically and media in, in the media paint a picture of them in a specific yep. way. We are watching them distort the truth. Yep. And we are watching it happen again. And it's very scary to watch it happen yes. because to experience it generationally from my parents and just to what, how they are culturally and why they exist, why they do, because that's how I experienced slavery. Yeah. I experienced slavery generationally through the behaviors of black people, right. through the violence that exists in my community, through the way we communicate with each other, through the lack of understanding, through the lack of family units, through the lack of economy and, and basic rights in this world. Mm -hmm. And that's how I experienced my blackness generationally in the, 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 the backs of slaves generationally. Yeah. And I feel like Hispanic Americans are going to feel what is, what is happening to them. Yes. They generationally will be able to tell these stories. This is going to be something that we are one day in America going to commercialize and we're going to talk about and we're going to domestically break down mechanically because what is going on is fucked up just on paper. Yeah. So to actually know what is truly going on there with information, like the Border Patrol agent who just released a statement in the news. We were in Chicago when they were talking about it, but 
you know, they just released a statement, you know, talking about their experience just as an agent, just as being there and patrolling and policing yeah. these people who they didn't even know who they were or what right. they were or where they were from. They didn't care. Their job was to just do specific things. Yeah. And right. So it's fuck. Scary. So fuck ICE. Ugh, fuck obviously. Ice at this point. Fuck ICE. Um, yeah, and that's exactly it. It's like you know, and this goes back to what I was saying before. Is like, yeah, you know. We've been taught to just accept the fact that Christopher Columbus sailed across the country, or excuse me, sailed, sailed across the ocean, and which led to the colonization of America. We were accepted, we were taught to accept that as like celebratory. You know what I mean? Like, that was something our, our, our lives and our history was taught to be right. celebrated. And, and the fact of the matter is, like, yes. Like the fa like yeah like I mean I'm of European heritage like I if it weren't for the as of all Americans are, yeah so yes right you know as Americans are it's like we are a settler colonialist state all of our residents except for those that are Native American are from other places yes are from are from yeah, other no matter how you got here exactly yeah that's what i'm saying it's yeah, like i get what you're saying i understand that like yes like you know we're here for the reason of the fact that like it's fucked up reason of all yeah we are here yeah we are here and we have to accept that fucking and that's where i think millennials take our our voice and our step into the conversation like but this is what the fuck you left us with. This is the America you left us with. And you yeah. cannot expect us to have all this shit figured out. And we cannot let that keep happening nah. as history goes nah. on because it's going to continue its normalization. It's a fucking circus. It's, yeah, yeah. it's going to continue its normalization. And it's like when we talk about what's happening at the border right now, it's like we're talking about people that are looking for sanctuary, escaping persecution, that are looking for, you know, exactly what people have been looking for you know, throughout history right. with America is condition of life, no matter where you're from. Yeah, is is freedom, opportunity, and the ability to self-actualize. And when we are depriving that, we are ex we are directly contradicting what the what being an American is all about. And yeah. fuck that, fuck that all off the window. Like I'm saying, like I'm just, I mean, I'm frustrated because it's like we. When we have a president that claims himself as a nationalist, you know, that is, there's a difference between patriotism and nationalism. And when you, when you say you're a nationalist, you automatically present an arrogance to how you're no, presenting it, your country. Right. But I don't think our country is any better than any other country. Sure. One yeah. thing I have guaranteed fact researched and understand this president is, is one thing he is, is he is a classist. Right, yeah. And of course. he would fuck over a poor white person too. Yep. And but at the same time, I think now with the recent with the recent um, facts of the matter in question, now he is a racist. And yep. just just saying that all Mexicans are rapists are weren't just enough for me. And I think that to see him on a scale of just disregarding three women of color like that, yeah. and I mean we have examples way before that that we choose to ignore. Central Park Five is such a beautiful, compelling story, even though it's being. It's celebrated yeah. right now. And also the work, the worker discrimination against uh, I mean, people of color that have worked for him. The king of gentrification neighborhoods, yeah. the king of coming into black neighborhoods, buying out its properties, upping the the, the tax. Yeah. <laughs> the, not to mention, the, not to mention, <laughs> not not even to mention the sexual misconduct allegations that are 
presented against him by over 20 women. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like his, I mean, as far as data, I would never know the media circus that goes on into plays into this, but it's just too much. It's really too much to even keep score with him. Yeah. At this point, it's like 2020 is here, y'all. It's here yeah. now. And one thing they, one thing him and Hillary failed both vigorously was black vote because we were a very confused community at that time. And I feel like it's important that we have a voice in this election. And that we do ele we do participate in this election because our voice really is going to matter in this election, and it's going to make a stamp, no matter what side we partake on, whether we partake on a more conservative, liberal, even far left. But we have this new far yeah, left category right, to yeah. fall under now. So the millennials have options in politics now, right? Yeah, and that's what we're creating with our voices, and that's what we have to keep creating is a option and a voice and a choice between the Nancys and the AOCs and the Bernies and mm, the Cory yeah. Brookers and the Pamela Andersons and all these different <laughs> yeah. options. That's what the Democratic Party needs to give us because when we when we gave them our populist vote, when we have, when we different when different marginalized communities were saying we're giving you our votes as liberals to lead this country in a civil way, we are saying that we expect representatives that represent us and that's what we showed them in the 21st century. That's yep, what social did. media has yep. showed them. That's what we have to also think about the progress. Yeah. The progress of this we country. Have, yeah. It's a fucking circus, but right. it is progress within everything. Yeah. And we are fighting for something. And what you're doing is not meaningless. Your 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 opinions and your conversations and your narratives and your stories that we author, they're all meaningful, no matter what side of the spectrum they are, even if it's fueled with hate. It's meaningful. It contributes to the American dream. It contributes to what makes this country so great. And I feel that these conversations need to continue to happen amongst all people and amongst yes. all different adversities. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. And I, I agree. And that leads to me to my final question is, how are you going to continue uh, pushing that, that, you know, that feeling of, you know, where you want to actualize that, that you know, what you hope for, you know, the, the social justice and the, the, the American dream, whatever you call it, mm. like, how are you going to continue pushing that through dance? Yeah. Um, well, I always say before I'm a dancer, I'm an arts activist. You know, I am a, I'm an artist who lives under the poverty level where 80% of dancers and choreographers live under the poverty level. We don't have enough money and food to feed ourselves. Yeah. And so yes, just me and my life and my experience is politics, it is art, it is activism, it is domestically what's going to change this country. I am not eating so my children can eat. I am not, I am surviving on this income and creating this art and creating what I'm creating so I can manifest new things and new vessels and new avenues, streets and doors for artists after me to come into this world, black dancers, black artists to come into a world where it is safe for them to create, it's safe for them to explore and experiment, and it's safe for them to identify with whatever the fuck they want to, mm -hmm. pursue it, live it, be it, don't do it, don't pursue it, don't live it, don't be it, and live your life to whatever you can possibly feel physically, spiritually in front of you. Listen to your gut, be yourself, Listen to that intuition in the back of your mind. Listen to salt and pepper. You yeah, know? true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Salt and pepper matters. And the paprika, okay, too. Okay, and the paprika. We're talking blues the clues. The Goya. Yeah. We're talking blues clues vocabulary at this point. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. 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 
that's that's I guess that's what I that's why I do what I do because I know that what I am doing what I am suffering will create a world for other people that will be so much better than mine just including my offspring and the people that maybe I will create one day yeah right you know just that simple condition of life shift just that offering is what is beautiful like we are the first generation of black people who mm -hmm. are probably going to leave our children property and I feel like that's something to just be celebrated yeah. and economically I feel like we are making progress and we should continue with progress and we should continue with black activism we should continue with all activism in all of the intersections that make the condition of life of everyone better and that's what I do with my art that's my vessel that's my medium those are the doors I can open for you um, if you are a person or an artist who feels lack thereof those specific things, I am that person. <laughs> Truly. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I can definitely see it for you. I can see it for all people and I see it for all people creative where yeah nay artistic and I feel like they can all be a part of the medium and vessel that pursues change, no matter what level, no matter how much or how little or how much you can invest into yourself or outside of you. I feel like it can be the investment and the, 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 the work worth trying is the most important and always process of a product. And yeah, all that bullshit. Beautiful. <laughs> all right, Maddie. And, all right. Um, so wonderful, fantastic uh, discussions. Uh, very wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? Maybe Instagram. Oh my the god! The worst demon of all demons. Instagram, <laughs> man. Instagram. Okay, Instagram is yeah. Instagram. Instagram is toxic at a late hour. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Uh, like yeah. Right. Uh, what puts you to sleep though? What puts me to sleep? Maybe some melatonin. Maybe some. That whatever that right, means right, right. to you. Well, yeah. And open door interpretation. Open, open, subjective. And yeah. I think that's what knocks me the fuck out at night. You know? Good that's shit. What, that's what closes my eyes well. Hey, everyone's got their medicine. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. been incredible. Yeah. Had it, keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate you and you as well. Uh, keep doing what absolutely, you do. Absolutely, yeah. Um, thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time. Mr. Knight.